seated. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are in a series. We just started a new series, and uh, uh, cue the applause. We are in a new series, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we are walking through the book of Ephesians, and so if you missed last week, let me let me share just a few highlights with you. I asked everyone immediately to write down the statement, context is king. We did that last week because last week was all about context. I think I preached through the first two verses uh, before we really got anywhere else. Uh, but that's, that was a good thing, and it was needed because context matters. So if you missed last week, we have that on YouTube. We have that on uh, Facebook. We are now on Spotify, thanks through the tireless efforts of, of some great volunteers. So uh, go back and listen or shoot that to people that, that you know and love. But go back and listen because it, it puts a lot of things in context. So, so last week, that was so much of what we discussed. We, we talked about a guy who, you know, he was kind of having an identity crisis at seeing, what's your name, Paul or is it Saul? You know, we, we kind of told his, his story a little bit uh, when he was Saul and how he became the Apostle Paul. Uh, that that this, this book of Ephesians, it's not just a book or anything. It is a letter that, that this man Paul wrote to Christians where? Where was it? Where was it? Where do you write him to? Ephesus. Gosh, you guys, you need to go to seminary. This is great. You guys are doing great. So while we really just preached on those first two verses last week, we did conclude with the next seven. We concluded in verses three through ten, and, and that was the reminder of our purpose and the blessings of being in Christ. So today, we are doing quite a deep dive for those who, who, who are really, really uh, maybe uh, oriented this way. We are getting into, honestly, some seminary level Greek, uh, but hopefully we don't lose you. And hopefully instead, it helps the word of God come alive to you in a deeper way. So heads up uh, for you in that way. Now, uh, I, I will go ahead and say right away, I know our stage looks different. I asked the worship team, hey, could you set up an obstacle course for yourselves today? Make it a little difficult. That's why we had Parrish, the most athletic guy in this church up here. Not really. Uh, but we, we, we wanted a visual, a visual. Uh, so I don't know. Let's see. Uh, yeah, we have our graphic up behind me. Or if you are watching online, you can find it on our page. We have our Ephesians graphic. We have in this graphic, if you can see it, we have at the top the Apostle Paul writing from a Roman prison. He's writing the letter we are reading. He's writing to the church that he loves so much in Ephesus. And they are connected by a red thread. As Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, he is communicating in this red thread. The red thread, in case you're curious, the red thread is Christ. The red thread represents Jesus. But Paul communicates this red thread. He communicates Jesus in three ways. If you don't recall from last week, there are three themes to the book of Ephesians. We have mystery, we have identity, and unity. Paul writes with these three themes in mind, and he writes to this church in Ephesus. All three of these themes point us to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So the Apostle Paul writes to the Christians in Ephesus to encourage them. Remember, he wasn't writing in response to a problem they were having. This is the only letter he wrote where he just really wanted to encourage them. And so he wrote them to remind them of their purpose 
in Christ to remind them of this mystery of God, their identity in Christ, and their unity in the Holy Spirit. And so this is symbolic of what connects Paul to this church and us to one another, you to your local church. It is this red thread of Jesus that unites all things. Remember how we closed last week. I'm going to skip on down Ephesians 1. I'm going to pick up in verse 9, actually. It says, according to his purpose, according to God's purpose, which he set forth in Christ, verse 10, ready? As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. This red thread that unites all things in heaven and these things on earth. This red thread unites all things. So last week we asked the question, why does church matter? Why are we spending time in Ephesians? It is the red thread. The red thread that unites us all. Jesus Christ, whom established the first church, he unites all of us as believers. This red thread, Jesus, matters and he unites us. So we are going to continue in Ephesians today. We ended last week again in in verse 10 of chapter 1. So we are going to pick up in verse 11. Uh, So remember, this is coming off the heels of Paul's greeting and his naming of spiritual blessings in Christ and and, and our purpose in Christ. Um, And and so we're going to pick up in Ephesians 1, Verse 11, go with me, Paul continues. He writes, in him, who's him? That's Jesus, right? In him, we have obtained an inheritance. If you got an old school Bible, you need to underline inheritance right there, highlight it. We have an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. And in finishing that last verse, we just finished a subsection of this letter where Paul writes about our purposes and the blessings in Christ. We just read what I am calling the gospel outcome, the gospel outcome. And and some of you may wonder, well, what, what do you mean when you say the gospel outcome? Well, first, the gospel. The gospel is Jesus and his life lived, his real death, but his conquering of that death. Why did he do that? For you, for me. Jesus dies the death that we deserve. He pays our penalty on the cross. You were born with a debt. Somewhere Dave Ramsey just got heartburn. You were born with a debt, just so you know. But Jesus comes to offer payment for that on the cross. And that cross acts as a bridge for you and I. The question is, are you going to are you going to cross the bridge? Are you going to cross that cross? Will, will you accept this inheritance? Look at verse 11. There's an inheritance for you. If you say, yes, yes, Jesus, you know, yes, you died for my sins. Yes, I, I want this eternal gift. Well, guess what? You have an inheritance. That sounds pretty nice, right? Usually in church, it's all about like, hey, all right, we're going to pass buckets. You give money. Now it's like, no, we got something for you. You have an inheritance today. And so when we think of inheritance, 
the simplest example, maybe, is when a loved one passes away, and maybe they had wealth, maybe they had some possessions, and they leave it behind, and, and it becomes your inheritance, right? Well, inheritance, hap- uh, th- this word occurs three times between verses 11 and, and 18. We haven't got to 18 yet, but, but it occurs three times. Just so you know, when something gets repeated that many times, it's important, okay? It's very important. It's important to note that from uh, for inheritance from verses 14 and 18 has to do with the idea that I just described to you. You inherit something. It's not the same in verse 11. There, there in, in, the, in what we know as inheritance, there is a transaction of property or assets of sorts given to someone. But the original Greek used in 11 gets lost in the English language. For us, we see inheritance three times. But look at verse 11 again. In the original Greek, it's an entirely different word. We're going to nerd out here for a little bit, so I hope you guys are excited, okay? This is, this is what's wild to me, though, because the word inheritance in verse 11 is the only time this word in Greek is used in the entire Bible. One time. For some reason, Paul is writing, and to us, we see inheritance three times. To Paul, he used inheritance twice and used a different form of inheritance in verse 11. So here it is in the original Greek. Go ahead and throw that up for us. Uh, Anyone want to give a a try at that? Anybody want to give it a try? Uh, Eklirathimen. Eklirathimen, okay? This word comes from the idea of casting lots. So in verse 11, again, we read inheritance. Paul actually has a different word that doesn't quite mean inheritance as we understand. This word comes from the idea of casting lots. And so I'm not going to assume anyone really knows what casting lots is. It's one of those like words we hear a lot or we read about a lot, but really what is it? Well, in Matthew 27, 35, if you recall, Jesus, he's hanging on the cross. And the Bible says soldiers were dividing up his clothes and, and they were casting lots for them, right? It is believed that casting lots is similar to what we would say is drawing straws or tossing dice. Because for them, casting lots most likely meant taking a a rock or stick and etching names on it, maybe initials or symbols on it. And then they pick them at random. That's casting lots. And so if you placed even all the rocks in a vessel, and maybe you shook that vessel around, the first one to fall out would then be chosen. Casting lots sounds a lot like rolling the dice. The outcome seems to be by pure chance. We're going to cast lots by chance. This is going to happen. In the Old Testament, casting lots is a super common occurrence. I won't get into all those details with you. But here is why it matters, um, because it, it, it did assign certain tasks and certain priestly duties. We, we won't get into all of that, but, but okay, what's the point? What, what does this have to do? <laughs> Verse 11, what's going on here? Well, why are we talking about casting lots? Well, one more way casting lots is used in the Old Testament was in dividing up the land that God uh, commanded Moses Okay, a few weeks ago, we talked about this, and you're probably familiar. The nation of Israel, uh, they wandered in the wilderness for how many years? How many years, scholars? 40, 40, 40 years. Did Moses enter that land, yes or no? No, he didn't. 
and he was the one that was like leading them, right? No, he, he didn't though, okay? So the nation of Israel, they were finishing up their 40 years in the wilderness. They were coming into the promised land of God and Joshua, the new leader, not Moses, he began to cast lots. Why would he do that? It was already promised. Why would he start casting lots about this land? It's, it's, it's because he was to see which territories and which sections of Israel would go to which tribe as their inheritance. This was in accordance with what God instructed them to do in Numbers 26 and 33, for those who are note-taking and want to go back and look at that. Um, nice history lesson, Pastor. Okay, come on, get back to verse 11. Uh, uh, I will. Why on earth... Would this be a concept that Paul uses in verse 11? Bro, come on, just use inheritance. Why you got to use this word that our pastor can't even pronounce the first time around? Remember, this is the only place in all of Scripture that this specific word is used. So go, 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 go to verse 11. Go to verse 11. You could read it this way. In Jesus, a lot has been cast, and we have been chosen for this Inheritance. In the Greek, this word for inheritance is the eros passive indicative. I know. Don't let that scare you, okay? Uh, I promise. All right, I'm simple. I'm from Eastern Kentucky, okay? And, and I did well enough in Greek that I think I can give this to you, okay? I'll make this make sense, but if you're the note taker, write those down. It is an eros passive indicative. I will define all of that, okay? But I told you we're going deep. We're going to nerd out on some Greek. I hope our back row doesn't fall asleep. So, so, an eros indicative. Let's talk about just those two first. An eros indicative. This indicates it has taken place in the past. It has taken place. It's already happened. And so in English, we have a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense. Okay? Think of it this way. We have a past tense. I ran earlier today. That's past tense, right? We have a present tense. I am running with a future tense. I will run later. I think the future tense here is also known as a never tense because let's, let's, let's be real. <laughs> no. But I, the future tense, I will run later. So with this Greek word, this is an eros indicative. This indicates it has taken place in the past, okay? Don't, don't get lost. It's just already happened. Paul uses a past tense and the indicative aspect simply means it's an irrefutable fact. I ran earlier today. You used an eros indicative, if you put it in Greek, okay? It's in the past tense, and it's a fact. In other words, there is no debate, there is no question about this. And so let's apply this in verse 11. You have received this inheritance, and it is guaranteed. You can't lose it, and you can't misplace it. This inheritance is an indisputable fact. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was for all people. Fact. Jesus' blood shed for all people is a fact. If you come to Jesus and surrender your life, it's done, it's over. You have the gift of eternal life. Fact. You won't need to cheer right now. It's, it's just a fact. It is what it is. Now, I know you guys are really scholarly-minded people, and you're thinking, okay, but what about the passive aspect? You've neglected the passive. I mean, great analysis of the Eros indicative, but I know Marshall's over here thinking, but what about the passive? I, I, I got you, since you asked, since you asked specifically. The Greek word is also passive, meaning 
you were not the one to bring this about. You were passive. You merely received this inheritance because God is good. Meaning you didn't do anything for it. And because you can't do anything to earn it, you can't do anything to then lose it. It is freely given to you. The question simply is, will you take your inheritance? What? What a weird word Paul uses right here. So just as the tribes of Israel cast lots to determine who got what territory, a lot has been cast for you today to receive this inheritance as a gift from God. It is as if our names have been etched into a stone and thrown into a vessel named Christ and, and have been tossed around. And you today listening to this, whether you are with us or, or online or you are listening to this five years from now, if you are listening to this, you've been chosen for this inheritance of eternal life. The question is, will you accept your inheritance? Who would say no? Who would? As it says in Ephesians 1.4, uh, we read this last week. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That means God chose you for this inheritance. All you have to say is, I want that. I'll take that. Now, let me, let me bring you back in. All right, all right. A lot of inheritance talk, and, and, and some of us have started playing Pokemon Go. Let's, let's come back, okay? All this inheritance talk. What is the big deal? Why does this matter? Why are you spending 10 minutes on something that you can't even pronounce fully? This inheritance has to do with your identity. You see, one of the themes of this letter is identity. One of the themes in this letter communicated through this red thread is your identity. And this inheritance informs your identity. Your inheritance informs who you are. So how do I? How do I know then? Okay, we, we can maybe make those connections. Okay, Jesus died for me. If I'm here today and, and I believe, I believe that happened. I, I, I crossed that bridge. I, I know he paid my, my debt. And I'm a believer today, but, but the next question is, how do I know? If I have this inheritance coming, but how do, I, how do I know? How do I know I follow Christ? Well, Paul answers that in the next two verses we already read. Verse 13, in him you also when you heard the word of truth, he's, he's saying, in your moment when you gave your life to God, the moment you did it, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Listen, church, when you, when you came to faith in Christ, you were given the Holy Spirit. There's, there's no need for a second baptism a uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Your salvation was sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's not to say that we can't grow in our awareness of the work and power of the Holy Spirit. I've had plenty of experiences where I have grown in my awareness of the Holy Spirit. But this Holy Spirit can come all at once, Paul says. It's all at once. The Holy Spirit is the, is, is the promise, the guarantee of your salvation. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee until we acquire possession of it. What a strange phrase. What does that mean? Until we acquire possession. That's heaven. You haven't acquired possession of heaven yet. You haven't died, so you have a promise in the Holy Spirit until you reach death, until you reach 
heaven. So much, so much here in just these, these few verses that maybe we read this week and kind of glossed over. But there's so much here. Now, Paul moves forward, so we will also move forward. Let's pick up in verse 15, and he begins to give thanks and gives us a great example of really how we should be diligent in praying for one another. Pick up with me, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Really, Paul is saying, pray for your friends. Pray for each other. Like, like just pray for them. Be thankful for them. I mean, I am thankful for, for many of my, of my friends, and we should do the same. Paul is really setting the example. Guys, come on, just pray for each other. Like, you can lay hands on people. You, you can do those things. But, like, also just in your own way, in your own time, pray for your friends. Remembering you in my prayers, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. That's a fancy way of saying, uh, I want you to grow. He's thankful for those friends in Ephesus, and then he prays that they continue to grow. Listen, we need to pray for one another. For our continued growth and maturity, as, as Paul does by example, that, that we would get out of the, the kiddie pool of faith, so to speak, and maybe we would begin to actually take steps and learn how to swim, right? Verse 18, Paul continues, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. He's saying that you would know your next step, that you would know what, what your next step is in faith. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance? There's that third use of the word, uh, to us at least in English, in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Listen, not only is Paul praying for his friends, not only is Paul praying for their spiritual growth, Paul is reminding them of how mighty, how holy, how strong God is, and that through Christ we have an advocate working on our behalf. How strong is he? Well, he's seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places, far above uh, all rule and authority and power and dominion of everything and everyone else. How encouraging is that to you today, that we have an advocate working on our behalf? That, that whatever dispute you're walking through this morning, whatever situation or crisis you feel like you are struggling with, you have an advocate in heaven and a gospel community right here to lift you up and pray with you, to cry with you, to mourn with you, to be with you, and most importantly, remind you of the immeasurable greatness of God and authority of Jesus. Right, church? Right? Paul finishes this little section with verses... 22 and 23, just so you know, as a random little thought, you know, Paul didn't number all these little things. We came along and did that later. So Paul wasn't the one categorizing all this. Um, but Paul does continue. His thoughts continue while we split them up in numbers. Paul says, and he put all things under his feet. He's, he's reminding you again, Jesus is the ultimate authority. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his 
body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So last week, our question was, why does this matter? Why are we committed to showing up early, to staying late, what, to church? Why, are, why do we prioritize this? Because the church is the body of Christ. We act as his hands and his feet. When we are committed to the local church, we act as the, as the body of Christ. Now listen, that sounds so nice, doesn't it? That sounds nice. Man, I'd love to be the body of Christ. But have you ever, raise your hand, not a rhetorical question. Have you ever been hurt by someone in church? Come on, come on, from church. Have you ever been hurt by someone in authority in church? We can be honest, guys, okay? Yes, we're all there. If you had three hands, some of you would be raising them, you know? Like you, yes, all of it is true. Even the guy talking, you know? Like, like it's, totally, it's true. This is what it's like to be human. So maybe I should be asking you, if that's true of your life, why does church matter? Maybe I should be the one asking you these questions. It's messy. And some of our deepest wounds come from church. I think many of us, me included, we've experienced hurt in church from people we trusted, people who claim to know and love Jesus. And then it's like they act in a way that just is so unloving and so hurtful, so vindictive almost. Listen, I don't have an answer for all of that, but I do know this church. I know that Rock Vineyard is, is led by people, so it won't be perfect. Uh, but, I, but I think there is something to say about our aim as a church. And it's that we, we just want to be a, a healthy church. Not a church with a dysfunctional leadership team or a narcissistic but charismatic leader. But a church that pursues peace through repentance as Christ calls us to do. I think that's why we keep coming back to church. Even when we get super burned. Maybe we don't go back for years. But eventually we come back. The local church matters and you need to be invested and involved in one, even if it's not us, because there are plenty of great churches in our, in our city. Um, you won't see it up here, but I just want to encourage you with this. Don't allow hurt from people to keep you from the love of the Father. Sometimes we just, we mesh it all together, don't we? But don't allow the hurt from people to keep you from the love of the Father. I think there's a lot of church hurt going on. I think millennials and Gen Z, I think we're experiencing a lot of deconstruction. We're, we're trying to figure out what is this faith even about anymore? Um, and unfortunately, I think a lot of church hurt or things that aren't the gospel have been called the gospel. And, and so I see a lot of friends and, and, and a lot of my peers, even pastors walking through a lot of hurt and processing a lot of grief. But when when you just come to Jesus, when you come to the words in red, when you, when you just come to the gospel, it's beautiful and it's uniting. But listen, people, listen, we, we're, we'll mess you up, won't we? We will mess you up. People are messy and we will hurt you. Uh, as a church, we, we aim to be leaders that are quick to listen, that, that are slow to speak and aware enough to repent. If you're looking for a perfect church, uh, this isn't going to be it. Um, but if you're looking for a church that wants to make Jesus' name famous and has leadership that is accountable and, and approachable and functions in a healthy way, I, th I think you should give us a try. Listen, church is hard, but so is loneliness. 
I mean, if you're a Christian, being part of a local church is being obedient. Being lonely is being disobedient. You might as well be obedient to God, right? <laughs> Both are hard. I might as well be obedient and be hard than be disobedient and it be hard, right? Church is hard, but so is loneliness. Humans, though, I, I, I fully believe this. We were made for community. We were made for each other to come together and worship. I mean, even the heart of God. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost working in tandem together. If God exists inside community, what should that say about you and I? Is that we need this. You need this. I, I need this. I would be in church even if I weren't the pastor of a church. When we go on vacation, we're always looking for other churches to go visit because we believe in the local church. And this is why all this, this is why I'm, I'm, I'm talking about this. Because Paul says in verses 22 and 23, Jesus is the head over all things to the church. The church, which is his body. That's us. So why are we talking about this? Listen, you cannot claim to follow Christ and disassociate from the body. If Christ is the head and we are the body, this won't work if the two are apart. Get a graphic image of your head. Can a head exist outside of a body? Can a body exist outside of a head? It would be like, it very much would be like taking scissors. When we neglect the body, it'd be like taking scissors and thinking, you know, this red thread is nice. It's, it's nice and all, but I don't like that part of the red thread. I only want this part of unity. I like this idea of unity, but I don't want God to tell me who I am. I don't want to talk about identity, and I don't want to know about the mystery of God over there. I just want the unity part. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clip this part. I'm going to clip this part because this is the only part I want. You see how, how focused that is, though, how, how me-centric that becomes. See, the red thread unites all things in heaven and on earth, and to compromise any part of it is to render the rest of it completely useless in your life. You don't get to pick and choose. Just approach the word of God yourself. Don't take my word for it. Approach the word of God yourself. Approach Ephesians yourself. And see how this red thread, this, this red thread of Jesus Christ, it unites all of us. And we're called to all of it, not just parts of it. Not just different things that we like, but we're called to all of it. Because if you snip one part, it all falls. I've, I've heard it said this way. The gospel is not a buffet. You do not get to walk up and pick and choose what you want. It is all or it is nothing. The entirety of this red thread must be taken seriously, not just the parts we prefer. As Christ is the head and we are the body, let's choose to be united. Okay, now listen. Hey, uh, pat yourselves in the back. We just finished Ephesians chapter 1. Look at that. Look at that. Look at you. Look at you. Look at you did. Not you. Anyway, so let's review. Let's review. This was, this was the Lord's word. Let's review, okay? I got two things before we finish in the first 10 verses of chapter 2. We're going to finish in the first two verse, the first, I'm sorry, 10 verses of chapter 2. That's where we're going to wrap up today. Uh, but I want to review really quick, just to make sure we're all there. If you are a Christian today, number one, we talked about our inheritance and how and why and the importance of it because it informs our identity. One of the themes of Ephesians is our identity. 
And number two, we've really talked about the purposes of community and how we must be in the body of Christ if we want to be obedient to God. We can't exist separate. We can't pick and choose what we want, right? There is a red thread. We can't compromise that. So those are for believers. But what about maybe for those who aren't believers? Well, here's the third and final part for today. Uh, Let's finish in Ephesians 2. The first 10 verses. Picking up in verse 1. And you were dead. Thanks, Paul. Like, you know, like, really, man? Like, this letter was really encouraging and Jesus-centered, and you were dead. Oh, okay, thanks. In the trespasses and sins in in, in, in which you once walked. Paul popularized the concept of the walking dead before it was a TV show because that's what happens when we're trapped by sin. We might as well be living dead. We, we, we are existing in a dead state if we don't know Christ. It is as if we are like walking dead men and women, okay? Paul continues, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan. Paul, why are you talking about the devil now? Like you, you were so Jesus-centered earlier. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He's saying Satan's influence on the world on those who aren't Christians, Verse 3, among whom we all once lived. That should humble you. That should humble me. That should humble us. Because that was us. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of man. Kind. So Paul now pivots and he says, Hey, Christians, hey, you were once like that. Remember, you once did anything and everything in the name of your flesh, in the name of of, of feeling happy. Because apart from Christ, we are just evil. We are, to quote Paul, by nature, children of wrath. We don't have enough time to unpack all of that, but we but we can. We need Jesus, okay? You need Jesus. I need Jesus. But we all know some people who will look at this world and throw up their arms and just say, y'all need Jesus. Paul is saying, yeah, and so do you, sister. You weren't so different yourself. You were once a child of wrath. This was you. But then comes verse four. Verse four. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. But God, that is saying that we were passive. Remember that Greek word? The eros, passive, indicative. It's passive, meaning you were not the one to bring this into your life. We were passive in our salvation. This work was the work of Christ. It was the work of God set before the foundation of the world. This work has nothing to do with us. Even if God was passing by in front of us himself, this indicates we wouldn't even reach for him. We would still be passive unless God stopped and gave to 
us. Pick up in verse 5. Watch this. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were walking dead people. We were dead, staring at God, but wanted nothing to do with God. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For the Christians today, you have been saved, but not because you were just so good and you worked so hard. God is good and he showed kindness toward us. We didn't want anything to do with him, but he participated in our lives. It was not our own doing because we were passive. And it wasn't because of our works so that we could brag, but by God through Christ. And you know what? Even, even more than that, we were created. Verse 10, verse 10. We were created in Christ to do good works, that we would walk in them, knowing that they come from God. That God loved us so much that before we were in our mother's womb, he saw us, he saw you in, in all of your fragility and, 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 and how how nuanced and difficult you are and, 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 and how beautiful yet sinful you are. He saw all of it. And he said, I want that person. He saw you before you knew he existed. You were, you were just a soul. Before the foundations of the world, he knew you. And the, I think the beautiful, absolutely beautiful aspect, if that isn't beautiful enough, what just captivates me more and more and more, and I hope I never lose sight of this, and I hope you never lose sight of this, is that God saw you on your best day. And he said, I want that person. And equally important, he saw you on your worst. The thing you want to forget, the thing that you want to keep in the past, or the thing you haven't even done yet, that the worst thing ever, he saw it, he saw you, he saw that, he saw the situation, and equally said, I want him, I want her. God desires a relationship with us. And so for our, our, our non-believers today, we just read a lot of words from Ephesians at the beginning of chapter 2 that may not describe God to you at all. Mercy, great love, grace, kindness toward us. That for a lot of people struggling with faith, that doesn't describe God and it, and it doesn't describe his church. But lay down those hurts for a moment. Your wounds from people who maybe claim to be Christians and place those aside for a minute and read about what God thinks of you, how God loves you, about his kindness toward you, 
God is love, and no matter how you feel about that, it is an indisputable, an indisputable past tense fact. He has loved you as you are. You can know Jesus today and no longer walk around like a dead person. But you can be alive in Christ because of God's goodness to us. Could we pray for you today? Could we pray for you this week? Could you take hold of this inheritance, this this free gift that is already offered to you? Could we take hold of that today? As 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 uh, our worship team comes up, and and it's it's really our time to respond, to think through maybe what what we've been reading to think through what to consider about this as as we wrap up for today. And you know where we're going next week. We're just going to pick this right up in in chapter 2, verse 11, okay? Uh, But as we consider what we've already read, listen, there's an inheritance, and it is offered to you freely. And it's not because you earned it, but it's because... God is so good that he invites us to participate in this with him. What? What? And that that the seal of this, of this inheritance, is the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. And that we get to participate in, in, in this work with the Holy Spirit. We get to partner with God to do this work. And, and as, as we concluded in, in verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Church, we got to walk in the good works. We got to live this thing out. We got to be more purposeful with our lost family, with our lost friends, with the, the people we go to work with. We just, just got to be more purposeful. Now, now, that sounds nice, Pastor. What's a good work? Honestly, go to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians or something, okay? Like, you you can define some good work there, right? Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's a great starting point. If you want to reach the people in your life that you care about most with the gospel of Christ, follow follow what Paul said. He said, "Then, then do the good works. Follow them with the good works. Yes, tell them of Christ, but then maybe act like you you believe it. Live this thing out. Would you mind to, to please stand as, as I pray and our, and our team closes us out? Uh, God, uh, thank you for your goodness. Man, your, your goodness that just, as the song says, continues to come after me. And it's not because I earned it. It's not because I, I, I somehow deserve it. But it's because of you. It's just who you are. You love us so much. And so I pray for for the believer today, for the follower of Christ today, the person that says, I'm a Christian, I believe. God, I pray you would really mobilize us to do this good work, to to do your work in a world that is desperate for you and they don't even know it. God, for, the, for, for those who may be struggling with faith, maybe they're a non-believer, maybe they don't even know, God, I, I pray that you would show them the richness of your mercy, that you would show how, how kind you are toward us, and that your, 
your arms are outstretched toward us and you're just asking us to come home. Like Jesus said in the parable of the faithful father, the parable of the lost son, that we would see a God just waiting for us to come home, ready to throw a party if we would just come back to you, not to condemn us and not to kick us and not to throw us down. Not to beat us up, but to raise us up for the good work that you have purposed for us, the good work of Christ. So God, we pray this today. I pray for those who need to come forward and pray. I just pray they would. I pray that they would just show courage and just move in this time together as we sing and we reflect in Jesus' name. Amen.